When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Patience Adamu. And I'm Curtis Vermont. And this is The Drip, a podcast about political decision-making during a racial revolution. Stick around as we analyze Canadian news and Black issues on a weekly basis. And if you like what you hear, if you think we've got the sauce, subscribe. On this week's episode, we discuss some of the top headlines from the week of April 18th, including... Fam. There's nothing else to discuss this episode but the budget. It's the biggest, blackest budget we've ever seen in Canada. We also wanted to make sure we were respecting your time. But don't you worry about a thing, my people. We've got episode 56 coming up for your listening pleasure, where we highlight the top stories in Canadian news and black issues. But for now, here are our thoughts on the 2021 Canadian budget. Last week, the Trudeau government dropped a budget unlike most living Canadians have ever seen that invests heavily in social services, women, Black Canadians, Indigenous people, fighting climate change, and of course, beating the COVID-19 pandemic. In short, it was fat as hell, and there was something for everyone, son. So I've taken some time to pour over the budget, talk to some friends to hear their thoughts, and do some introspection of my own. I thought I'd share that all with you. First... This budget dedicates the most investment to Black Canadians and our affairs in history. It's not quite reparations, which are a relevant conversation here in Canada, and maybe we'll discuss that at another time. But it is a lot. Black Canadian enterprise and the community will be receiving a billion dollars in investment over the next few years. So why don't we drill down on it and take a look? First off... The document encompassing spending for all Canadians is a massive 739 pages, and it's pretty staggering in scope. It's got $101.4 billion in new spending over three years to support all Canadians. And just for perspective, total program expenses were $338 billion last year and are now climbing up to $426.7 billion. So that's an increase of 26.2%. It'll rise to that point by 2026. There's $30 billion over five years, including $8.3 or $8.3 billion after those five years annually to fund childcare and early learning. I'm sure you're super happy about that, Patience. I am. Uh, I'm very happy about that. (laughs) And especially since their goals are to cut fees in half by 2022 and reduce them to 10 bucks a day by 2025. Um, It's expected to add, just for context, 1.2% to GDP, according to some studies like the one from TD, that shows that for every dollar in early childhood education, it produces $2.80 in growth in return. You know, there's also the fact that there's the establishing of a $15 federal minimum wage, which is something that the NDP really wanted to see. Uh, There's also $3 billion more for paid sick leave, another NDP demand. 
So that's just an overall snapshot. And obviously, <laughs> that doesn't give you the full picture whatsoever. But when we look at what's in the budget for Black Canadians, man, we've got $400 million for charities and non-profits. And, and that $400 million is just to essentially refill the coffers for what non-for-profits and other organizations might have had to spend because of COVID, right? Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, it makes a lot of sense since the sector employs 611,000 people, many of whom are mainly women, Black and racialized Canadians, young people, newcomers as well, people that are disproportionately affected by the pandemic overall. So I think that's a pretty smart investment. There's also up to $220 million for what's called the Social Finance Fund. That supports charities, nonprofits, cooperatives, and other social purpose organizations committed to addressing challenges directly at the community level. There's you know, $50 million over two years to renew the Investment Readiness Program. What that basically does is it, so for example, the investment readiness program in particular, that'll help with, you know, business plan development, expanding products and services, skills development, as well as hiring for charities and not-for-profits. Uh, when we move over to the Black Endowment Fund, which is what the Foundation for Black Communities spoke about on our show, it was fully funded. $200 million was given to the fund to ensure that we can manage our economic affairs for essentially generations to come, uh, there's $172 million over five years and $36.3 million ongoing for StatsCan to start collecting and making usable disaggregated data. Absolutely amazing from the perspective of a researcher. You know, and by the way, that is a part of a total of $250 million over five years for StatsCan to just start being overall better at data collection. Uh, so, I mean, this really is transformative. Moving on, we've got $100 million in supporting Black Canadian communities. And just for perspective, uh, that program was first announced in 2018. And when it was first announced, it was $25 million over five years. Now we're getting five times that in one year. Wow. Uh, that program is going to be administered by Employment and Social Development Canada, uh, as opposed to a lot of these other programs, which will actually be uh, administered by Black community organizations. But uh, this program is meant to essentially support capacity building within Black-led nonprofit organizations so they can also support uh, or better support the community. There's also $87.4 million over five years and $18.6 million ongoing to create opportunities specific for suppliers, for Black suppliers to tap into uh, Public Services and Procurement Canada. Basically, uh, this funding is going to start that Black procurement program. It's not in place yet. Uh, but just for perspective, there's already an Indigenous program. Mm -hmm. This funding is going to keep working towards that 5% target of federal contracts being awarded to Indigenous suppliers, although I'm not sure where they are now, you know, where that target is now. Uh, there's also an extra $51.7 million for the Black Entrepreneurship Fund. Many of us will remember that that was, I think, the first Black-centric program in response to the outcries uh, in response to George Floyd's murder. Uh, so that program was $221 million last year with a $93 million contribution from government. And like I said, uh, this, this $52 million essentially is going to be added to that. And, and, you know, I think this is very important, especially in light of our ongoing conversation about 
uh, cannabis and its legality in this country. And quite frankly, it's, it's, mm. it's legality, it's, it's looming legality, at least North America wide. Um, Canada will be providing $88.2 million over five years and $13 million ongoing after those five years for pardons. I mean, this is going to apply to all Canadians. It's true. Mm-hmm. But we've mm-hmm. talked to this numerous times on this podcast about how uh, Indigenous Canadians and, of course, Black Canadians face the brunt of incarceration, certainly for uh, minor uh, drug possession. Absolutely. Quite a lot so far, right? Any Any thoughts? I mean, this is huge. This is... Such a pivot in how Canada has done things in the past. Mm-hmm. We've virtually gone from Curtis, like being afraid to say the word black. Yeah. You know, being afraid to call out a specific group other than indigenous, right? Yeah. Being, being afraid to call it a specific group to literally <laughs> like designing a portion of the budget and its considerations around this historically excluded and disenfranchised group. I mean, we effectively have 10% of the budget. Which is wild. Like, (laughs) so wild. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, right now, you know, Canada-wide, we are at, you know, 3.5% is what what the last census said. Mm -hmm. Um, But again, the reason why I, I, as a researcher, get so happy about disaggregated data is... The, the way that we collect data around what race you are right now is kind of convoluted. So um, I do think that we, we are, as, as Black people, we're probably a lot closer to being 10% of the population. Don't quote me on that, but let's see what the next census um, and what these... Are these you sure 10% of, the po- of, 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 of Canada? With the... Well, you know what I'm pointing to? When we look at who is coming into Canada right now in terms of where are the immigrants coming from, from different parts of the world, a lot of immigrants are coming from Africa and have been coming in droves for the past three or four years. So I do think that we're, we're seeing some major, major shifts in the way that the country looks. And because we're letting in Rather, because we are inviting, because that's how Canada works. We're not letting people in. Correct. Because we're inviting, you know, a, up to a million people into the country every year, and our population is, you know, desperately trying to get to forty million. One year has a really big impact on our population. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, I mean, listen. You, you, you can you can say what you want to me when the census results uh, are released in 2022. But if we're not at 10% at that point, including people who folks who are biracial and identify as black, then I would be really, really surprised. I do think that this budget is a budget for the future and is going to help um, raise the floor, right? This is not about building a country that has black billionaires. No, this is about raising the floor and ensuring that Black people have a fair shot. So, amazing. 100%. All I'm saying is right now, census, like you said 3.5%, right? Is it is it 3.5% across Canada? It's 3.5% as of the, the 2016 census, yes. And you think it's again, 2016, again, the, the, the 2016 census is reporting on 2015 figures. Yeah. And I think that even the 2015 figures were low, right? Uh, I... I I look forward to seeing that. That'd be very interesting. So here's what others are saying about the budget. Friends of the Drip, Merrill Africa, former president and now advisory board chair of the Canadian Association of Urban Financial Planners, or COFP, 
as well as Crystal Francois, president of the Black Chamber of Commerce, had good things to say about the budget while having a few concerns. Africa, in particular, said overall it looks great, especially the focus on childcare, climate change, and the different things that progressives were asking for. She loves to see money earmarked to Black communities, but wants to make sure we get the money in a fair and timely fashion. She would have liked to see the Black Entrepreneurship Fund cover smaller loan amounts, since not every Black business needs a $15,000 loan or more. She pointed out that ACBN, or the African Canadian Business Network, is working with Alterna Savings to provide grants to address this gap. She's also not clear on how the feds aim to connect workers to jobs post-COVID. Though it's not really part of the budget, it'd be nice to know how they plan to attract companies to Canada now that Trump isn't in power. How are we going to foster competitiveness, especially for tech companies? I hear that. Finally, she'd have liked to see an enhanced investment in the first-time home buyer's credit. There's lots of talk about lack of supply, but the reality is lack of affordability. As she points out, quote, millennials will generate less wealth than boomers because we can't afford to buy homes. This needs to be addressed, especially if we're expecting over a million immigrants, many of whom will drive up costs due to their foreign wealth being injected into our local market, end quote. Francois said the budget was a clear reflection that government is listening to advocacy groups on behalf of the community, whether for entrepreneurship needs or otherwise, pointing to the laundry list of investments just for us. She was also very happy to see support for Indigenous communities. That said, uh, like Africa, she'll be paying attention to see how the budget or how the spending is executed and delivered. If we zoom out for a little bit, the majority of Canadians, they're pretty happy with it. Trusted poll aggregator 338canada.com has the Liberals poised to win a majority government if the looming election were held tomorrow. Just to break that down a little bit, the Liberals are at 37% support, the Conservatives are at 31 the NDP is at 17 and the Greens are at 7 Ready to get into the opposition's reactions? Yeah, um, before we get into that, how can the CPC be so high? Yeah, yeah, what it comes down to is... Uh, the liberal support is in Ontario, Quebec, and BC, and liberal and, and support has been rising in those regions, and and, and uh, Atlantic Canada for that matter. Hmm. And uh, as we know, the CPC support is in BC, uh, sorry, Alberta, Saskatchewan, and to a lesser extent, but pretty consistent, BC as well. Yeah, uh, and they just they just aren't picking up any any support, and then in some cases they're actually losing support. Interesting. Yeah. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. So let's jump into what Aaron O'Toole had to say about the budget. I, I listened to his, his remarks immediately after it was tabled. O'Toole said the budget does nothing to help Ontario, Quebec, BC, anywhere going through the third wave right now. 
uh, even though the federal government announced support, you know, specifically for Ontario, I think it was last Friday, like April the 18th, but okay. Here's his initial reaction, quote, they acted too slowly to counter the virus, and now Trudeau is too slow to help Canadians, end quote. He would have wanted to see a plan that improved, uh, improved people's economic security by creating jobs, it will, uh, increasing wages, uh, it does, and lowering taxes. And it does do that too for businesses that invest in greenhouse gas emissions reducing technology. But more importantly, it'll make life more affordable for a lot of people. I mean, O'Toole, it claimed it did nothing to secure the Canadian economy. But if we even look at childcare, for example, that can be $2,000 a month for people, for women right now. Absolutely. In Toronto. Huge savings. Right? You cut that in half by next year. I mean, come on, that's a thousand bucks back in their pocket. Huge, huge savings. He specifically mentioned uh, unemployed Canadians looking for work. He mentioned workers with low wages. He mentioned families wanting lower taxes to pay mortgage or to pay for kids' education. And the fact that they'll be annoyed with this budget because there's nothing in there for them. Is he dumb? Yeah. Or, or he didn't read it a lie. Like he didn't, he didn't actually read it. He's just saying so because I actually feel like like workers with lower wages they literally raised the the floor for low wages. Like, so what do you mean workers for, with lower wages? Of course, they did something for workers with lower wages. They increased the wages. Is it just am I am I missing something? You know, I have a theory on you know statements like his, uh, which is that basically, you know, he's saying things that unfortunately most of his base, they're not actually going to verify. Oh, okay. Um, and they're going to take what he's saying at face value. And so he's just going to say a whole bunch of nonsense and, and that's that. If you ver- if, like as you just did, and as we're effectively doing now, if you, if you actually take a look at the budget or if you even take a look at what spending has been doing over the past year, you'll see that nothing he's saying makes sense. Right. He also had to say this about the budget. Uh, This Ottawa knows best approach will lead to ballooning housing costs, higher taxes, a risk of inflation, and will leave millions of Canadians behind, end quote. And I I just wanted to kind of land on that for a moment because it's interesting that O'Toole, even he, isn't outright saying that this will lead to inflation. And it must be because the general consensus among the political and economic class is that inflation can't logically be a worry since we've been spending like drunken sailors much more than usual to come out of the last recession. And yet inflation hasn't spiraled out of control despite false claims from conservatives. So, hey, I don't know. Maybe maybe that's a good uh, – we don't know if the conservatives will be supporting the budget. So that is TBD. Why don't we jump to Jagmeet's reaction? I like what he has to say most of the time. Uh, Jagmeet is saying that they will be supporting the budget. I mean, that's not a surprise. They've said that for quite some time. Uh, They are disappointed, however, that it doesn't really do anything on pharmacare, except for what I saw, which is, yeah, start paying for a high expense drug scheme to lower, uh, you know, expensive drugs. Mm -hmm. They also are concerned that this budget doesn't do anything on universal basic income, which I, I, I appreciate except for the fact that it essentially extends some of the income support that is in place that is like UBI, so like the the, the CRB, for example. Right. Uh, but even that, that's actually going to be curtailed down, which I'm, which I'm personally a little annoyed about. Um, Jagmeet in particular said, quote, the liberals chose not to ask the ultra-rich 
to pay their fair share. They didn't put in the tax on extreme wealth. There's lots of things they didn't do, end quote. I don't know, maybe because they weren't necessary this time. I don't What do you think about that, Patience? I mean, the wealth tax is, is I'm, I'm pretty gung-ho about that. I really want to lean in on that, mm-hmm. uh, especially at a time where, uh, you know, we could very easily see the disappearance uh, or the, the eradication of the middle class. Mm-hmm. So getting the ultra-rich to pour into, a, you know, a shared system, I think, is now's the time to do it. Because like, like all these small businesses have been saying for, I mean, a year now, uh, they are losing their market share to the largest businesses, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So the, the the dollar store and the convenience store in your neighborhood is losing its market share to Loblaws and Shoppers Drug Mart. So if there's any time to tax the extreme rich, it's now, mm-hmm, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting that you talk about the wealth tax um, and, and maybe I would love to have a conversation like dedicated to that. I don't think we can do that today. Personally, I'm not sure. prepared. But so first of all, the, the government decided to bring in a luxury tax, um, which is essentially a 10 or 20% tax on on luxury cars, planes, and boats anywhere up to 100,000 or 250,000. And basically the, the, the tax threshold I told you about, it applies based on the higher amounts. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, however, you know, leading up to the budget being released, there was a debate with groups like the OECD and CD Howe Institute. They were denouncing the wealth tax, instead saying that we should have an increase in the GST. So we should increase our, our sales tax and doing that would net more money. You know, it would it would render less harm to the economy. I guess what they're saying is it would hurt rich people less. And we could also still support the most vulnerable among us by increasing the GST tax credit, which is already in place. What are your thoughts on that? Instead of having a wealth tax and taxing rich people who hoard their money, Mm -hmm. we would just tax the rich people who do not hoard their money? Uh, Well, no. No, effectively, we'd be taxing everybody based on their consumption more. But but that's what I mean. So so there are a lot of rich people. Sorry, if I was I was unclear. There are a lot of rich people who don't consume that much, right? Um, and and hoard their money like like they just have like like money that has been passed down for generations. This is this is the old money story, right? Where they just have right. always had money and and they keep them in um maybe offshore accounts, maybe not, but they just kind of keep them and generate more money based on you know really um interest etc exactly exactly so we're we're going to leave them alone we're going to leave the old money alone and we're going to focus more on the new money like the um floyd mayweathers of the world who uh just consume 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 that's right i don't know it it, it kind of feels <laughs> I don't know. It, 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 to me, I was, I was going to say it feels racist, but maybe it's not ra- like intentionally racist. But um, you know, I, I think it 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 doesn't pay enough attention to the full gamut of who is wealthy and who should be contributing. Yeah, yeah, and of course, uh, you know, you know, I don't see it as racist, but it is one hundred percent undeniably classist. Uh, right. I think that what is happening, though, that I, I think is being missed here is that the the elite of the wealthiest are passing the buck 
Absolutely. What's, I mean, what's the term? Shit flows downstream, right? Yeah. The, 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 the best of the best, the richest of the richest are saying, yo, if people are going to be paying taxes, it's going to be y'all 20 millionaires or even, yeah. y'all, or, or even y'all, y'all billionaires. Me over yeah. here with my multiple billions? Nah. <laughs> you have to remember, even like those people, right? Those people who are the like extreme, like 0.01% or 0.05%, those people don't pay like like everything is maybe um expensed by their workplaces or expensed by, like like all of these 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 things but when you talk about consumption they don't consume in the same ways yeah it's it's so, like yeah jumping to enemy's reaction enemy paul and the green party don't believe that the government go far enough in a few areas including of course transitioning from oil and gas but she'll be supporting the budget she says quote we always welcome investments in green technology green infrastructure What we're looking for, though, is a green recovery. We need to increase our commitment for reducing greenhouse gas emissions, end quote, which we did this week, uh, but not to her expectation or that of Europe for the record. And we kind of talked about that, Patience. She's disappointed there isn't more support for residential renters as opposed to business, saying, quote, we've seen a, a massive spike in evictions and those are the people who need help right now, end quote. In terms of deficits, which I'm sure some people want to hear about because it is important, the fiscal year that just passed saw our spending deficit at $354.2 billion. But by the way, that actually came in below expectations, not only from the federal government, also the Parliamentary Budget Office, as well as the C.D. Howe Institute. So we're doing well. Good. Yeah, um, the deficit is expected to drop to $154.7 billion next year and then to $59.7 billion after that. And four years from now, the feds are expecting that our deficit will be down to $31 billion again. Uh, it's funny to kind of note, though, there was a time, you know, I remember 2015 when we were talking about $20 billion deficits and everyone's like, <gasps> right. So uh, times have changed. So that I mean that's that's the full picture. We we took a little time there to go through it, but I mean black people can be happy, women can be I mean everybody I think can be happy. Any any final thoughts? No, I agree. I think uh, the, the only thing I wanted to mention is that this is the first budget that was ever tabled in Canada by a woman. Ah. And uh, uh you know, congratulations to Christian Freeland. And uh, really looking forward to continuing to to see her her impact. I do think you know I think we we speak very highly of Chris, of Christian Freeland a lot on this podcast. Christian Freeland uh, really believing in the strength of the middle class and really wanting to uh, provide for communities that are underserved. Mm-hmm. I think is um, what has given us. Uh, su- such a beautiful budget. And uh, yeah, I, I, can't, I can't wait to see what they continue to do as a government. I hear you. And, um, you know, thank you for, for paying that, that homage to, uh, to Freeland. I, I totally forgot that. Yes, she, as you pointed out, you know, it's the first budget delivered by a woman and what a budget it is. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very good. I, I'm very happy. Uh, all should be happy. I, I think, I think if I take a step back and kind of just, put this budget into perspective with the world. I mean, we talked recently about the American jobs plan. We talked about the infrastructure plan mm-hmm. in the United States. And of course they, they have more spending to do because they are further behind, even on infrastructure alone. We already pointed out that the 13th in the world, right? Yeah. Yeah. 
So there's that. Then there's the fact that the progressive parties, every single one of them support this budget. I, I can't see anybody not supporting and any one of them not supporting this budget. Um, and I, I do fundamentally think it meets the moment. However, I think it's important to note that this really is, in my opinion, this really is a continuation of, you know, liberal middle of the road policy. And I just wanted to put that into perspective because there are things that many people, myself included, still want. Universal basic income and pharmacare are two of the biggest, right? And yet it does so much for so many people. And so I guess my fundamental question is, if you compare us to other countries, it's pretty easy to say that we're not going far enough. Mm. From a Canadian perspective, this is absolutely a progressive budget, the most progressive we've ever had. Mm-hmm. But in the grand scheme of things. No, I think it's a, it's a great point. It's a great point. In Canada, we, we love to kind of congratulate ourselves. But in the moment that we're in right now, we're, we're going through um, COVID, you know, together to share an experience. I'm, I'm, not, I'm also not convinced that we're going far enough in all areas. Yeah. I do think that when it comes to the Black community, that we've gone much further than I had ever anticipated. But I will agree that when it comes to the the kind of fundamental shifts that I was hoping would be made as a result of this global pandemic, and you mentioned it, UBI, Pharmacare, yeah. we have not gone far enough. I mean, those are huge. Yep. And, and I guess what I was trying to underscore is this is a government, this is a, a government and budget that are going to help people, no question. But to what end is the, is the, is the real question, Right. A liberal government, as I've, as I think I've pointed out from the jump, even from when we first met, a liberal government, a center-left government believes in filling gaps in economies, but it does not necessarily believe in the dismantling of capitalism. Right. And what right. this what this budget shows is certainly the perpetuation of capitalism, which is fine, which is, you know, depending on your perspective, it's not unfettered capitalism. So that's all right. But yeah, it's just a question of, of, uh, of priorities. You just listened to episode 55 of The Drip. Thanks so much for joining us, everyone. We're releasing pods on a weekly basis. So subscribe to stay up to date. You can also keep up with us on our Instagram and through our Patreon pages dedicated to the podcast. Follow us or support us at The Drip TO. We love our many non-BIPOC listeners, but we have a message specifically for our Black listeners. We hope that you know that this is a safe space for you. So if you have any feedback or questions, feel free to slide in our DMs and let us know what's up. We'd also like to give a special shout out to Toronto's very own Be On Location for our new sound. You can find more tracks from him wherever you get your music. See y'all next time. Told you I'm coming back with this one, right? Yeah. Let y'all feel it out. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues 
your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 